Hey guys, Mike here. Just wanted to give a little bit of a, a quick update before this episode of Journey Through the Decades. Uh, I just wanted to apologize that this episode is late. I had uh, some coaching obligations with the, the district's meet. I also had some pretty major food poisoning during that meet, so I actually brought my laptop to edit it, and then I got food poisoning and was violently ill for a good day or two. So that's why this episode is late, but either way, it's coming out today. We had a great conversation about Dying Swan with Jay Skipworth uh, with this episode of Journey Through the Decades, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike, and I am once again joined by Jay Skipworth of Filmstrip Podcast. Jay, how you doing, man? Mike, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me back on to uh, continue our journey through decades of film. So for people that maybe didn't listen to the first episode, I came up with this idea to go back through the last 12 decades of film to look at lists of top films of the year and pick something I hadn't seen out of that list. And I convinced Mike to watch them with me and we're going to kind of talk about them here. We're not really going to do them in uh, film strip style or maybe even amateur tour style. We're just really looking at why these things made the list uh, maybe and sort of what cultural significance they seem to have and what's the modern analogs or do they have uh you know tentacles that have gone through cinema or was it something that was definitely a part of its time so this is fun i'm glad to be here for our, our second entry in this as we continue to work through the silent film era yeah, and uh, last episode, Trip to the Moon, I thought that was a really good intro to this whole idea and this project that we're doing. And this, uh, this so the second episode, we're going into the 1910s. And I think it's worth mentioning that we did, this was a last minute audible that yes. um, that Jay suggested. Uh, the original film that we that Jay suggested, these are all Jay's picks. Uh, I'll give credit where credit is due. And originally, we were going to talk about the epic that is intolerance yeah and i when you told me that i'll just like do my brief intro like intro to that um i remember being like oh okay that sounds interesting like i've heard i've heard of this well how could you not hear about this director um Mm -hmm. dw griffith and uh and i was like oh yeah like isn't that the uh birth of a nation guy interesting um and I started watching intolerance and it was on all these are available on youtube especially like these early films and I remember seeing like three, three hours. Holy shit. Like <laughs> this is going to be, I gotta, I gotta take some time to sit down and watch a silent film era film for three hours. Right. And, and then uh, Jay, so last minute audible, uh, I'll put the, I'll put the ball in your court, which I, I agree. I completely agree that the, um, the audible was probably the best way to go. So I, I got through most of it. And I, I was in my head the whole time going like, how are we going to talk about and explain why we're talking about DW Griffin, you know, here without talking about it, you know, we're going to have to, and it dawned on me that I was like, you know, I feel like I'm probably going to spend more time talking about that than I am what intolerance is about. And I also feel like this movie could have been a third of its length and gotten its message across. And so I said, yeah, 
I don't think Mike's gonna gonna hate me if I tell him we just skip this and do something different. So I went back to the trusty list that I'd been using on um, top films, and I saw this one, and I read the description of it. And I was like, that that's what I want to do because I'll tease it out coming up in several decades. We're gonna have a lot of noir thrillers, uh, which is a favorite genre of mine. But there's a lot I haven't seen, and this one I was like, oh oh, I feel like this is gonna be through all kinds of stuff, having never seen it. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh yeah, we made the right call for sure. So yeah pivoted to the dying swan off of intolerance and uh we're just gonna kind of leave dw griffin in history it's, you know some things happen and it's like let's not we don't need to put spotlights on that on the yeah. other hand <laughs> this thing here i well i'll just play my cards now man i don't know yvinji bauer the russian director here for me obviously i don't know anything about him um, i know the dying swan routine though because i've known dancers and ballerinas through the years i've seen the routine who hasn't um, again, if you don't know what that is, you've seen it done, folks. If you've ever seen any kind of ballet done, it's the they basically crumple down and, you know, the ballerina lays on her side with her one leg out front and the other one underneath her. You've seen the routine. It's a great dance um, and it's very beautiful. And I thought they made a they made a movie about that. And I thought, OK. And then I read what the description was. I was like, oh, oh, this is going to be cool. Since this poor ballerina gets her heart broken and then an artist who's trying to capture death in painting or sculpting or something like that becomes obsessed with her to the point that he gets her to do the routine. And while he's trying to draw her, she can't sit still enough for him. So he kills her. And then he, you know, performs, gets the artwork out of it, but Oh, he's killed her. And it, and she's haunted by all these night terrors of yeah. being trapped in this forever. And there's all these, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff in this one. So when, after I watched it, I was like, man, there's a, there's a lot of modern horror that owes itself to this movie. And I had no idea. And so I, I'm really curious to get into, I, I want to go and see more about this director and what else he did and things like that but boy i can see why this one landed on the list for sure because i'm trying to think in 1917 how evocative this would have been and we should mention unlike last time with trip to the moon where there were soundtracks added to it and the director there always intended for like there to be a narrator or sound effects and all that stuff this one was meant to be shown in dead quiet Oh, yo. And so you, you watch it in the quiet and you see all this. So when I saw it, the versions of it, I saw on archive and, and a couple of other playing YouTube were all completely silent and uh, it was really interesting. I think there's been some soundtrack stuff laid over them in post, but it was intended to be completely silent with title cards. And I, I found that to be such a neat experiment. Did not know that because the again watched it on YouTube. There was a soundtrack over it. Well, it was interesting. I was mm -hmm. I was so I was watching these like in, at downtimes, night shift worker at work, and I put my headphones in, just expecting like this to be like that silent film score, and I was like hearing like very like vague sounds on my headphones. I'm like, oh, is it is it the file? Is it my headphones? Mm -hmm. And I like went on and like put on like spotify a different youtube video like netflix like anything and mm -hmm. the sound worked fine and i'm like oh this is weird like if there's no sound i'm just gonna take it out so i put the i disconnected the bluetooth and then a sound a score emerged and i was like wait what i thought there was no score so definitely a little like surreal experience i had i don't mm -hmm. know if what happened because the the audio worked when i took the bluetooth out um but i did i was not aware that this was supposed to be a silent like definition by definition silent film and that 
does kind of change the viewing experience um because mm-hmm. i i'll just say like right off the bat like i'm very like hit or miss with this i think i really love the idea uh and the themes that and and even like some of the visuals like the more abstract like uh surreal visuals that we have in this film but yeah. i feel like the build-up can like be is stretched out a little too long and i'm just like <laughs> all right like let's get to it let's get yeah. to it um and, and I will, uh, I, I will say that that the the version of it that's probably more easily accessible than you find you you do get a a piano soundtrack with it because the dying swan is a piece of music that goes along with that ballet and so you get that kind of laid in there and I do think that works but I think it works just as well with nothing over it and it's even more haunting and I read a review online and I thought this was hilarious um, and I I'm trying to remember exactly where I um I got this from. Um, I think it's a, it's a website called moviesilently.com. And if you just go read the, the review of it, there's no author to the review, but it said this director was obsessed with three things, death ballerinas and more death. And <laughs> I mean, like, I think he's right. I mean, this, this whole thing is about <clears throat> desperate artists. And that's what I found out. It found so interesting about this because that's a common theme in movies. It has been for years. It's a common theme in literature, you know, all this. Shakespeare used it all the time, you know. And, um, you know, Stephen King always leans on this. Half of his characters are what? Hack writers, you know, or something like that, or people trying to be writers or actors or something like that. And you have this dancer who, I don't know if you've known a lot of ballerinas, Mike, or professional dancers, but they live a life of pure hell. Uh, because they have to maintain a look and a physique that is impossible for human beings to do. And this is pre-revolution Russia. So you can only imagine what it was like for this, this ballerina that they've got. And she's tortured enough. And this poor girl, she doesn't speak Russian. This man takes up with her and then he kind of two times her and she sees it. So she's crushed. And she's hot. So she physically yeah, she, can't speak. Yeah. Yeah. She can't talk to him and she didn't know his language anyway. And so it wouldn't matter if she could. So all she can do is dance. So she's just broken as this person. And she's, she's haunted by these dreams of these, I guess, dead ballerinas telling her she's going to do it forever in hell or something. I don't know what that was all about, but it was, you know, I'm curious what your interpretation is. You have that. And then you have, the artist who is constantly like drawing skeletons and trying to, I can't get death. And I'm watching this guy and it's like the mad scientist trope that we see for decades of film and things. And it's sort of precursor even to, uh, it's probably the contemporary of, but you know, it's sort of what a lot of the interpretations of Dr. Frankenstein were and things like that. And uh, even like Dr. Strangelove, you know, Kubrick had a run on it. And you see this guy, he's so obsessed with this and he sees this girl and he's obsessed with her, not because she's beautiful or her art, but because she does this dying routine that is death in its purest form, you know, and he's just, he's so obsessed with it. You must perform this for me so I can do my you know, painting or whatever. And to the point that he's like, you got to stop moving around and he kills her. And I'm like, well, I had no idea Darren Aronofsky was watching this shit, yeah. but apparently he was because the first thing I thought of was like Black Swan yep. like immediately. And I, and so many other noir, dark thrillers. And I, I don't know, man, I I just ate this up because it's such a psychological mind bend for 40 minutes and it blows by too. you don't even realize how long it is. Yeah, I think. uh Maybe I wasn't in the right mindset to watch this. So I was explaining to you just for mm-hmm. a little added context. I'm in the middle of moving. Uh, I'm a swim coach. 
uh, I work night shift and I've been working every day since for like essentially at this point the last like five days five nights with right. so i've been like operating on like anywhere from three to four hours of sleep working 12 hour nights so i was watching this and i was like all right like let's get going and then i'd get struck with a visual i'm like whoa, whoa, whoa. it will reel me back in reel me back in like i i i didn't i wasn't being invested in the uh the love story of like the man breaking her heart i understood like the added significance of the context that is needed for the larger narrative. But I was like, eh, whatever. Okay. She's going to go dance. And then, and then the vision, and then the artist comes in. I'm like, Oh, oh okay. You're drawing me back in. And then mm-hmm. going a little bit more of like, Oh, tr- like, Oh, I need to draw you. I need to draw you. And then I do really love that moment of when he first draws her and, and, and his like artist appraiser friend, uh, producer is like, this is trash. Like, this is like the worst thing you've ever done. And I don't know. I took that as both ways of just like, this is garbage in that, like signifying that you didn't truly capture death or this is so horrific that like you did too good of a job. I, I interpreted it more as a, um, you didn't capture the essence of death, which drives him to kill her at the end, which I, when that happened, I was not expecting that to happen. I was like, wait, he's like, you have to stop, you have to stop moving, you have to stay still, and then he just grabs her and starts strangling her. Yeah. Which, albeit, is a very, in the, like, in 1917 when this was made, that it's still pretty tame, but just the idea of you have to sit still, and then he just strangles her, and then just the control of her, that, I, I haven't, I don't know any, like, professional dancers. Um, I've known people that have, like classically trained dance or they've uh done it for fun but no one is ever at like this level of just like the scrutiny that like these dancers must have from pretty much all of human history yeah um these unrealistic standards but that like really i was like oh wow like now like it's almost like i'm i'm kind of with it for the rest of the movie and then that moment is what like sold me on the whole thing i was like okay now i understand why there's all this added context to it um but uh yeah i i i love the surrealist imagery i was getting a lot of like i david lynch has has definitely had to have seen this because those uh you know the the whole like when our main uh, dancer is in the, or main character is in this long, dark hallway looking in like this figure of death or symbolic representation of death walks down in these like cloaks, walks down the hands gripping, trying to grab at her. I was like, where, where did this come from? Cause like, you know, 20 minutes ago, she's getting her heart broken by some like, you know, douche who yes. is like, Oh, um, <laughs> Hey, I'll go on your walk with uh, something came up. I gotta, we gotta reschedule our walk when he just goes on another date with someone. Which so I was like, yeah. ooh, okay. But um, yeah, I was having a lot of highs and lows with this, with this film until like the very end. Which okay, that that's I get it now. I understand why we're here and what this was yeah. building to. And I feel you on that. I mean, this is definitely not one you can watch and like be doing anything else. And that's weird for me to say, because I all the time am doing something else while I'm watching a movie, unless I'm in a theater, you know, or whatever. And it's, you know, I don't know it, but this one, I, I don't know. I must've caught it at a time when I had the time to just sort of sit and live with it. And I'll be honest with you though, the parts you paid attention to are really the parts you should pay attention to. So like, it's one of those, like you could skip and just come back, you know, and come back to it. You caught the best parts of it is all of those dream sequences for her. And you talked about Lynch. I feel like I I've seen that 
referenced in in all kinds of you know things and literature and folk tales and i grew up on like you know a lot of stuff but edgar Allan poe made a huge impression on me and i feel like this was definitely in his alley of of kind of shit he would write and would have made something out of you know and and it is i think the idea of the obsessed artist you know she's so obsessed with her art that we can assume that's how she lost her voice or maybe she doesn't have the voice she's never had the voice so she's that's how why she dances so interpretively right and and we should say vera corelli the the actress and not even an actress the ballerina who did this was a famous russian ballerina she was the russian ballerina and then she was exiled you know oh. and and you know ended up working in austria for decades and taught dance i think she didn't die until the 70s so she lived a long long life she, and, she was supposedly present for rasputin's death yes correct which yeah. which i i read that fact afterwards and that just for me added a whole new context of this film that i was like oh this is from a historical standpoint that's <laughs> yeah. pretty baller and pretty interesting right yeah i mean it is a big deal to have this this person here in the life she lived and i i, I want to go seek out you know if they did interviews with her if there's a much written about her now because i'm just curious the life she lived that the story she could tell right but also to hear her tell the story about this and what it was like maybe to make this um, but it, again, you've got someone who's so obsessed with their art again, that, that it, she's reported herself into it. And emotionally, that's kind of all she is, but it tortures her. And the artist is the other side of it. It becomes mad from, and that's kind of the Poe type character of, I'm so obsessed with this thing that I must have it so perfect that I'll create it. And I got to thinking about, you know, all the different times that gets referenced in a modern movie. And the one I landed on, and it may be too obvious, but is what Thomas Harris was doing in silence of the lambs with the Buffalo bill character, trying mm -hmm. to create himself into something that he's not. And just sort of a, the obsession that goes with it. And I don't know, man, I just, I dug it. I dug it for the, again, because I like that kind of movie. I like that kind of story. And I felt like it, it called back again to a lot of my Poe background and other stuff. And, uh, What's amazing about it, it, the stark difference in this from the trip to the moon, which was really all about the spectacle, right? Is this is incredibly simple. It's really shot around a big house and by a lake. It's not all that big a deal. The striking effects would be the dream sequences, I guess, if there were anything. Um, but just the way it was shot, I'm watching this going like, Man, like directors have been obsessed with the same four camera angles for a hundred years. It's amazing. There is a dolly shot in this film, which yes. was really striking when I saw it because I I thought everything was locked down just because of uh, it was easier to film and film mm -hmm. was expensive and you couldn't you, you couldn't um, you know you couldn't afford to like mess up the shot. So it's like okay, just lock it down. That's one less thing, just you know, just turn the crank. But and it's only once. It only happens once in the film when mm -hmm. it, it dollies back, and and that was really interesting. I'm like, and which I thought was, I don't know, I don't want to say this is like the first dolly, but I thought that I thought that was setting me up for like the dream sequences. The camera's going to move all around and well, move around as much as the time could, you know, the, yeah. the, the equipment could uh, allow. But uh, I remember seeing that. I was like. Oh wow! Now I'm even more engrossed in this, and which is just a simple dolly shot backwards. It right. and it just again, which when we get into more like technical filmmaking uh, later on, it just shows just like how much you know movement is important, whether it be 
the the act the actors and the people on you know on the stages moving but also like how important the camera is as a as a movement tool obviously it's capturing whatever you're getting but um i also really enjoyed just the dance the mm-hmm. of of the just dying like swan the because the, yeah. the di- i had never seen it i had never seen the mm-hmm. dance before um not so much class i'm not classically trained in really anything or have studied dance uh dance does I'm fascinated by it because of just the level of control people have over their bodies that as a uh, six foot white dude, I don't have. Um, but see, so, this is funny because but people should like you're, you were a collegiate swimmer and that's a level of body control. <laughs> that's a, on a whole different level to somebody like me. Who's a six foot two white dude. Who's, I basically <laughs> can run straight. That's all I got, you know? And, yeah. Coordination is better. <laughs> like I have some coordination. My reflexes are okay, but you know, I fall like going up the stairs, you know, I, I, <laughs> I consistently fall down the stairs and, you know, my one day I'm just like, you know, this is how I'm going to die. I'm going to fall down the stairs and I'm going to lay here for a week. And, you know, t- it's like Aragon, like today's not that day. But yeah. um, but it's just dancing, just that level. Even like when I see professional productions or like Broadway, I always look at the background dancers. Um, yeah. I just saw, well, a few months ago, I saw Wicked with my girlfriend on Broadway and I'd seen it before. But like the, the flying monkeys and the background dancers, just how people interpret like uh fantasy type creatures yeah. i you know wicked as a little tangent like wicked they the flying monkeys come out and they do their like their dance they're doing like rope acrobatics and then they come down and even they start turning a crank and just like how these these performers can are able to control their movement and make it seem like that it's like there's an uncanny valley of like yeah. i know you're a human under that costume but you feel like you're a monkey or even just like watching Andy Serkis in modern day cinema with mocap and what people are able to do. So I love, I love or Doug Jones. I think Doug Jones is a perfect mm-hmm. example of like what, uh, body actors can, and, uh, can do, but that's why I love watching this of just like when she walks out, Oh God, on her toes, pure wedding. I don't know what the dance yeah. the terms or what the, the move, the moves quote unquote that she's doing are, but it's just, I was gripped by the dying swan routine and that's that those were that was one of those sequences i was like okay i'm back in you've sucked me back in so uh and that's that's where i think just the the the, the one straight uh lost camera really works and uh mm-hmm. and even just how she's able to i guess that the famous dying swan image of just you know the, of, a, of the ballerina dancer just looking like a dead swan and just even just manipulating their necks the, like almost elongating their necks but also it's like the illusion of their body it's yeah. fascinating and yeah i this conversation definitely has brought me around back to it um this is definitely i think it was last episode i said that these are like film history movies that you watch once in your life, maybe twice. I think I'm definitely going to return to this because I want to watch it on a big screen TV, like from ideally Mm -hmm. like something that's touched up with zero sound, like how you're originally intended and intended to watch it. Um, But yeah, no, I think this was definitely a good follow-up from the over the top fan, fantastic uh, effects driven short that was trip to the moon to now like a more subdued, darker sinister uh minimalistic film of that era yeah and i mean i think to to tie a bow on it too it it's a common theme throughout film history is a man obsessed with a woman to the point that he kills her 
as part of his obsession. And maybe it's not out of a, I guess when you kill somebody, it's always sinister, but it's not because he wants her dead. It's because he's trying to fulfill some other thing. And I'm not letting him off the hook for it, but it, the, the film does, but it's, that's a theme that goes on and on and on. And it, you have to ask yourself, like I asked myself a question, I'm like she's haunted by all these dreams about being dead. And it's almost like her mind is telling her, like, you're going to die. You're going to die soon. You're going to die. Fate, you know, go to John Carpenter and Halloween and Deborah Hill and all that fate stuff that she wrote, you know, for Jamie Lee Curtis to spit out. Like, you can't escape, you know, what's coming and all that stuff. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if this movie is trying to tell us that this ballerina knew she was going to die and she just let herself ride into the trap. I don't know. Like you could, you could, I could write film papers on this, I guess for days about, about it. But I think that's what this, this movie in particular spawns is that type of, I don't know, idea and discussion. So it's, it's not a, the easiest thing to watch. I won't lie, but it does look great on a big screen, even if it's old grainy self, it, it's, it's a great looking thing. I threw this up on my big 70 inch television and just, you know, watched it. And that dance routine for nothing more than capturing that is, is uh, just a piece of cinema gold, but I think it works. I really do. It's not the greatest thing ever made. It's definitely not even the best thing of the 1910s, but it's on those lists for a reason. And I was curious as to why. And I think because it tackles so much stuff and it's also from an era that doesn't exist anymore. This Russia no longer is there. There's like broken pieces of it scattered around the Ukraine and things like that. You know, maybe Austria, but um, it's neat to see an era that doesn't exist anymore and what those people were trying to say. And uh, I don't know. I, I and by saying nothing, which is the other thing too. It's again, I I wondered like, are the title cards going to get annoying? And they never really did. Like I sort of went with it. I was like, no. I if and I try to put myself in if I'm in that mindset and I'm not used to, I don't hear things when I see these motion pictures, then this is just what I come to expect with it. Unless I have the Carney Barker to the side to tell me that I'm about to shoot the moon in the eye or whatever, you know? So I, I kind of appreciate it for what it is. And I see why Hollywood's obsessed with these things. Remember the artist that won oh, the yeah. picture years, you know, years later, it's the same idea. It's it, there's a skill to telling a story when you can't talk. Um, it, well, and you know, a lot of people will say, and it's probably controversial speak, so we started with DW Griffin. We'll end with Joss Whedon here real quick. Hmm. Uh, the, one of the best above the episodes ever is from season four and hush oh, yeah? where the chunk of it, nobody talks and it's all in how they emote with their faces and they move. And it's also in the music too. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's an obsession that Hollywood will always have is how do we do this without the primary tool, which is voice. Yeah. So, and, um, and, you know, yeah. you've directors, you know, I think James Cameron is probably one of those directors. He is very like utilitarian dialogue. It's nothing like it's yeah. not Shakespeare. It's not pretty. It's just what do we have to say to get this plot forward? And so the audience knows, but it's all in his visuals. George Miller, especially with Mad Max, Fury Road, like that just operates as an opera. And yeah, that's another film that, you know, technically the you. Um, you know, he uses it's it's. I mean, obviously a lot of effects, but you know, just even just basic like framing of the camera that directs your eye, so you have like a there's there's a language of cinema that is being established here that all of these great directors, even even like Coppola, I even I just rewatched Dracula, and mm-hmm. uh, and all the and that is whether you whatever you say about the the meat of that film, uh, the content of it the language that the, the cinematic language that is just 
ebbed into that and just like written in that film is beautiful. And I think that's one of those films that people should watch from that kind of that perspective, as opposed to Keanu Reeves, like awful uh, <laughs> accent in that film. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, you're seeing all of the, this is like what's really interesting about this. Uh, I can already tell about this retrospective is seeing the foundation that modern filmmakers are still trying to like call back while mm. also, but audiences might not necessarily want to go there. You know, that's, you know, the, the film going experience has changed drastically. Movies are not as, I would argue not as uh, they're not, they're not viewed like they were in the 19. 19- 10s 20s 30s even like 20 years ago films no, but, are but, drastically different but i mean you've still got filmmakers that are pushing the boundary i mean you got kenneth Branagh now doing macbeth as a german expressionist film you know and it's it's all about mixing and matching things together and you know I, you know the roots of that are what boz lerman was doing with romeo plus juliet in the 90s you know and stuff like that and all that slew of things so i think it, there's always been this obsession to try and improve upon the art form and take it back somewhere or go somewhere different with it and be avant-garde. And I just am thinking in 1917, again, this would have been, people would faint watching this in the theater, you know? And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to, as we go forward in the decades here, to, I'll be curious to see, because I kind of know what's coming up on the list. I don't know how many of those things are influenced by this or by trip to the moon, but I think there's, there's threads of them throughout it. So um, but we're kind of walking out of the silent film era when we're heading to the twenties next. And uh, I'll just tease to say, we're going to do a very big comedy and it's uh, from one of, I guess, America's most revered comic actors of all time. And I uh, can't wait to get into that one next time, man. I have seen the next film, but I was in, I think I was a freshman in college. So again, getting kind of, experimenting with the films I was watching, you know, getting away from like the mainstream. And I remember the film, but I don't remember how I responded to it. And I think I'm going to have a much better response to the film now, especially with this, a different film appreciation and just who the actor was and, Mm -hmm. and just even just like the feats that they were able to accomplish within this film. So very excited to get onto the next one uh, as a, as a tease for next month. But, um, but yeah, I guess that that, that's kind of all the thoughts I have on this. Uh, I guess in closing for me, uh, I, I will say this conversation has helped me appreciate this a little bit more, but, uh, and I will return to it. But uh, I think it could be trimmed here and there. But I think the what what we're meant to see, what we're supposed to take away from it, those lasting visuals of the dream sequences, the dance, the final, the final scene of this ballerina being strangled by this obsessed artist, those stick with me. Not so much the beginning where she's getting stood up on a date and her dad like selling her to a dance composer like i don't know yeah kind of yeah a little little icky there but yeah i'll I'll forget (laughs) i'll forget those sequences but i will remember the dream sequences the surrealist nature and like the dark undertones and overtones of this film so yeah another solid pick jay oh thanks again man and uh, like i say i I'm glad to to have experienced this, and I'm glad you've seen the next one. I haven't, and I've I've only ever seen bits and pieces of that artist's work. I'll just leave it at that. So mm. I'm curious to experience this because I've heard of it, 
And I, there's one scene I know I've seen clips of through the years, but didn't know what it was in reference to until now. So I'm, I'm curious to dive into this one too. And as with all of these, I mean, it's going to be a fun journey to, to go into the 1920s next and you know, the roaring twenties and see what it brought us in cinema. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm right there with you, man. Uh, as always, you want to plug film strip, uh, at the, yeah. uh, at the end of the show. Just yeah, to, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks again for having me on, uh, folks. If you want to hear more of me talk about movies, maybe a little more, uh, different review style, um, go to filmstrippodcast.com or search for film strip podcast, wherever you find your podcasts, uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, all those places. We've got something for everybody. Uh, we've been doing it for over 11 years now, 320 plus episodes. And uh, Mike's been on several and uh, Lindsay and Ron and our gang uh, and, and friends come on and we, we do a little bit of all of it. I mean, we, we'll do musicals. We'll do fifth sequels of horror movies. You never know what'll happen. You know, we'll, we'll do literature, literature adaptations, all kinds of stuff in there. We got all the Stanley Kubrick, you know, films scattered throughout the, the uh, feed there and we've done a lot of action and comedy all kinds of stuff so something there for everybody appreciate it if you check out the show and uh, appreciate uh, mike again uh, you for letting me have this this platform here on amateur tours to uh, take a journey through the decades of great film oh yeah of course jay and as always guys you can follow uh, amateur tours on our on twitter at all tours pod you can email us with any questions comments or concerns at the amateur tours podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening guys and as always we'll see you next time